from the Parts Unknown Studios. You've entered the battleground. Battleground! The battleground! Battleground! The battleground! Welcome to the Battleground Podcast, your place for all things pro wrestling. Battleground! The battleground! Battleground! The battleground! Now making their way to the microphones, give it up for your hosts. Welcome to the What's up, you guys? Welcome into iHeartRadio's official wrestling podcast, the Battleground Podcast. My name is Battle, and uh, you're probably wondering, where have you guys been for the past month? Where's Where's been Battle and Eli? Well, truth of the matter is, me and Eli kind of sat around and talked about it, and we just wanted to take some time off and just, you know, relax and not have to crank out episode after episode after episode, because, I mean, we were cranking out episodes every week, and... You know, we just wanted to kind of take a step back, take a mental health break for a little bit, get back to some things, and, you know, now we're back. We're uh, ready to rock and roll. We might do some new stuff with the show. We might switch some things up from interviews to talking about wrestling. Now that wrestling's exciting, I mean, you got so much things going on. Bray Wyatt back in the fold now, and then what's happening with AEW. D- it, it, is it weirder? The fact that DX is now running WWE, we'll talk about that on a different episode. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to take a step back and, you know, just enjoy time and just sit there and watch wrestling. And me and Eli would still talk about it. And we just kind of wanted to take some time off. But now we're back, baby. And, uh, you know, what better way to kick off being back than uh, an interview with the one, the only, DDP. Actually, let me just start this over. It's me. It's me. It's DDP. Our guest right now with us is the legend, DDP, is joining us in studio. When, when you think about it right now as a wrestling fan, there's so many options to watch. Uh, I mean, you've got WWE, you've got AEW, you've got Impact, you've got NWA. Like, growing up... NXT, NXT ROH. Yeah, and growing <laughs> up, you had two. It was either right. WWF, WWE, or WCW. Right. And now it's a great time for a wrestling fan because you get everything. You know what else you get really great? Independent wrestling. Yes. Like, independent wrestling is going on a whole surge. And I noticed it was happening when I was in the UK about nine years ago. I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me these guys are making a living? Like a decent, not a good living, but a decent living? Living their dream? And no big two that they're wrestling for? Uh, And I was like, wow, that's different. And then you go to places like Chicago. In Chicago, there's eight different little federations. Yeah, you know, and they all draw. You know, it's a it's a, it's a great time for the wrestling fan, but it's also a great time for the boys and the girls because there's a lot of place for them to work, definitely, and get better. Like when Cody left WWE the first time, <clears throat> and. He left. He, I don't know what kind of money he was making, but I know what that pay grade would be about about a, probably half a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big bold move because he saw himself as a top guy, and if they don't, you have to leave at some point. And that was a ballsy move, but there was so many places for him to work. Some nights, weeks, he was working five or six nights a week. Yeah. So again, he got out there and. Literally rebranded himself, and then of course we know what happened with All In, and you know that whole thing. Because I was a part of that for Cody, 
You know, uh, I'm a WWE guy when it comes to whatever they need me to do because I'm a Hall of Famer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they treated me really good the last seven or eight years. So, you know, I like to give, give back on that. But I was going to help Cody no matter what. And out of that, Tony Khan and I got pretty close. And he's a really good dude. I felt bad for him. When, when Punk was going through his rant, but you know, Punk—that's what he does. He he says what's on his mind, mm-hmm. and it's really worked out for him a lot of times. This time, kind of think he shot himself in the foot a little bit, but he'll get through it. It'll be and he'll be fine. You know. Yeah, and you know, we we've had this conversation with me and a group of friends on a group chat, and it's like, you know, if Punk walked away again from wrestling, like you said, he's gonna be fine. He's yeah. CM Punk. Wherever yeah. he goes, he's gonna sell merch and he's gonna sell this and he's yeah. gonna sell this. He doesn't need to wrestle anymore if he walks away. No, he's. I'm sure he's making stupid money right now. Yeah, but uh, and that's kind of like fu money, you mm-hmm. know, for you know at that spot. But again, he's more. I, I what I've seen. I don't really know Punk that well. But uh, by 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 his actions, he's a guy who kind of you know wears his heart on his sleeve, obviously. <laughs> right. Uh huh. But you know, he, he he what you see is what you get. Yeah. You know, and he he's not going to candy coat anything. If anything, he probably could a little bit, but <laughs> right, you could have you could have scaled back just yeah, a tad. Yeah, but he you know, he, he's going to be himself, and he's going to be true to himself, and. I don't think it got him fired or anything. I think he'll get a suspension along with the rest of the boys, yeah. like they all did, and uh, hopefully they'll come back with a different attitude um, when it comes to like the company is what's paying everybody. Yeah. So you know, there's, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I, I to me, it's like I've always said the stories in the back are way more intense than the stories outside. I mean, what the what the fans get to see and what really happens. You know, there's just so much. Right. You know, I did Rome with backstabbing has nothing on professional wrestling. Yeah, and <laughs> we, we recently talked with Ricky Starks about that, the, the backstage drama, and he's like, yeah, there's somebody that's got loose lips that's giving you sort of the stories and then all the dirt sheets run with it. But like sure. you said, I mean, if you're not hearing it from, you know, the horse's mouth. You don't know. You're just piecing bits and pieces together and then creating clickbait, per se. Sure, and that's um, really what all people care about. Like, I I, I was doing a, um, a show with Vince and the doctor for Sports Keter, which I love those guys at Sports Keter, but they would ask me questions that no matter what would make headlines that weren't what I said. Right. So I eventually went, listen, I love you guys. I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity, but... Uh, you know, I'd rather go off and do my own thing. And when I'm doing Snake DDP Snake Pit, which we you know put out a new show every Tuesday, I'm going to move it to Wednesday though, because I want to I want to start doing stuff that's more contemporary. Mm-hmm. And Jake and I had talked about this, so that's what my last two shows on DDP Snake Pit were. Jake isn't there because at the time he was in, he was flying, and we had to get the shows out there. Yeah. But starting when we come back uh, the following week, Jake will be back, and like we're we're watching the the stuff we want to talk about. We're not, you know, it's we're not a negative show. We're not there to bury people. Mm-hmm. We're there to pick up the guys who are putting and the girls who are putting the work in. And we're going to give you our opinion on you know what we think of what they're doing. 
And uh, it just makes it just like what you guys do. You know, it makes it more, you know, contemporary to what you're doing. And right. people can follow along. But we'll still do the evergreen stuff that lasts forever as well, you know? Yeah, tell those stories that everybody loves to hear. And you talk about Jake the Snake. And I got to tell you, one of the things that, uh, as somebody in my family, I've had family members battle an addiction. Going sure. back to that Jake the Snake documentary that y'all did. Sure, Resurrection of Jake the Snake. Absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Like, I sit there, and, you know, I don't really talk about my family issues, and I don't talk about relatives that have gotten addiction, but I sat down with a family member and had them watch that with me that was still struggling with addiction. Right. And literally turned their life around after seeing what Jake the Snake could do. And I got to tell you, I, I just want to say thank you for putting that out there uh, and being a part of that, because I, you, you see Jake's, you know, deal uh, with addiction and everything, and with your help and DDP Yoga, like, completely turned him around you know it's it's more it could be really any exercise but that the exercise my program works the best because when you're beat up you're really limited what you can do yeah like you can't go out and run <laughs> you know right. those days are over yeah you know you're lifting weights and you've already torn both pecs both triceps, both biceps. Like, you you don't have, because ego steps into the weight room, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, my program is the best for anyone who wants to hold back the ends of time and keep kicking ass like Jericho, AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre. I mean, guys who are at the apex of the business, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and they want to keep doing it as long as they can at the level that they can, um, to, you know, to guys who are just beat up and, and broken. And that's what Jake and Scott both were. They were they were broken. And we managed to get them back on track and feed them real food and give them a safe spot. And that's what the resurrection, Jake's, oh, I got baby, got my phone. I'm going to read you something that uh, this is one of them. The, did you ever see Bigger, Stronger, Faster? Yes. <clears throat> Chris Bell did that. And, uh, he was friends with Josh Brolin. And Josh, you know, has had addiction issues. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I had um, Chris had given Resurrection before anybody had seen it. He'd given it to, uh, to Josh. So let me, let me tell you, after he saw that documentary, what he wrote, it was really amazing. He said, Chris... Just watched the documentary, and I'm in stunned silence. A happy ending, and then he put in parentheses, or at least up until now, question mark. Wow, DDP, what an amazing guy, a real man. Thank you so much for turning me on to that. A great story of hope, love, and real compassion. I needed to see, I needed to hear that or see that. See you at the gym, JB. Like that was like the greatest compliment you could ever get from one of the greatest actors on the planet. Right. And uh, <clears throat> like it helped him and it, it'll help. I think every kid whose parents can let F-bombs go because there's like close to 100 of them in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, if, you can let, if, you're, if you're okay with your kid hearing an occasional F-bomb, every young kid should see that because they need to understand that being rich and famous – is not all it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And a lot of people have a lot of stuff that comes out. And like Scott Hall was one of those people who didn't think he was worthy of it. Yeah. And that's because, you know, what had happened with him and the guy got killed and wasn't his fault. You know, what? Yes, but no. But 
He didn't bring the gun to the gunfight. Right. You know what I mean? And the guy got, he just, he never, he never appreciated, you know, he, he, he didn't think he deserved it. You yeah. know, and he was one of the greatest ever. And to get both of those guys for a period of time in my house and both that got sober and both that got into the Hall of Fame, it was amazing. I'll tell you, you talk about watching it and having your, was it your cousin or? It was my aunt. Your aunt. Um, Jake had to see that documentary before we put it out there. And he didn't just have to see it. Mm. He, had to, he had to really love it. Because if Jake didn't want people to see that, no one ever would have seen it. And that was my, that's what I told him. I, I told all my boys who were editing it, like, told Jake Gibson to be okay. You know, Can't it's go never going to be seen. When you get to that one scene where he's drunk at the airport and he says, I only had three beers. And then later, you know, 40, 50 seconds later, I only had two beers. Then later on, he said, I only had four beers. And, and just to watch him, you just like ducked his head like you see who you are in that position. Yeah. And he'd never seen himself like that because he would never watch that. But that was a big part of him getting like staying sober. Yeah. Because he didn't want to be that guy. And really, most people don't want to be that person. So if you can... If you can film them, you know, if you've got, you're in a situation like this, so you can show them, but then be willing to help them. For sure. You know, because that's what it takes. You know, we're going, we just went through it with, we're filming a show. We just finished filming a a docuseries called Change or Die. And, you know, Marcus Bagwell, it's been all over the internet. When he first, people found out I was working with him, his bookings went through the roof and he started making more money. Yeah. Because people knew they could depend on him. And Marcus is a great guy, but he's still an addict. And by the end of the series, you'll see it go on from there because he went on after we're done. He did so great. And then he went off the rails. Yeah. And he is, you'll you'll see this one girl in it. It's his, his niece. And Marcus was the dad that she didn't have, which is his brother who wasn't there. And Marcus was there her whole life. And she's like his guardian angel. And between her and me and Steve and this guy, Josh Nair, um, you know, we all get together and start to help him. And, uh, you know, he had to go to rehab first. And right yeah. now he's doing great. So we'll see how that all plays out. You know? Now, the the docuseries that you're talking about, is this where we're going to get to see uh, Buff as Mr. Rogers? Because I, I scrolled yes. through TikTok and yes. I was like, is that Buff? Like, And I started laughing and I was rolling the entire time. Oh, that's one of the funniest videos out there. And one of my guys, see, a lot of people think that, oh my God, DDP, the work you did with... It's not, it's, it, yes, it's me. I'm the, the figurehead of everything. But I've got so many great people. My business partner, Steve Yu, my wife, Paige, uh, my buddy, Josh Nair, um, my crew, Nathan and Dylan and Trevor. I mean, all these guys, you know, uh, Matt, they, they, they all help. Uh, Nadia, Kat. I mean, all these people who work with me help. Yeah. And they really care. It's the greatest job you could ever have because you're doing what you love to do and you're helping people. Right. You help somebody, you feel better about you. When I was 22, I'll never forget, I heard Zig Ziglar on a tape or somewhere, a big Bible thumper, motivational speaker, 
Zig Ziglar is one of the smartest cats ever. Uh, one of the things he said was, you can get whatever you want as long as you help enough people get what they want. And that became part of my DNA. Because yeah. I realized back then how much better you feel about you when you're helping somebody. At Christmas time, I always be, I'm always i always putting motivational stuff out there. But at Christmas time, I talk to people about, if you want to feel better about yourself, start helping somebody. You know, it's it's one of the reasons why I feel so comfortable in my own skin. Because my karma is through the roof. <laughs> right, you know? right. So, and I, and I know that. So, if something happens to me, if God decides to take me when I walk through this door for some reason, I'm good. You know, I've, I've lived five lives. I mean, I don't want to go anywhere. I've got a gorgeous wife next to me over here, you can see. And I don't want, I told her I'd be around for the next 40 years, which would put me at 105 <laughs> at the time. So, you know, I got a ways to go. <laughs> and, you know, you, you talk about helping people. And I think the one cool thing is I, I'll scroll through social media and it's like every other video is somebody talking about DDP yoga and how you help them. Like, I think the one video that stands out, and I, I you use this a lot, the guy with the uh, the glasses, the the military guy. Disabled veteran. Yes, yeah. where he was very overweight, couldn't do anything. And then I'm watching this video as he's transforming, and he just throws the cane away, and he is booking it. Yeah, crazy. Like, I sit here and see those videos, and it's like how drastically people's life has changed. And Because growing up as a kid and as an adult male, it's like, yeah, yoga's for, you know, chicks. Sure. But, uh, of course, you say it's not your mom's yoga. Right. But so. also, I'm wearing a hat that says what? <laughs> DDPY. DDPY. Why? Because I want people to stop calling it just effing yoga. That's why. <laughs> um, but, you know, the reality is, in the beginning, yoga was the first piece of it. And that's and my, my wife at the time, Kimberly, was like, you got to try yoga. I'm like, I'm not doing yoga. Yeah. So I understand that mindset. And my wife will tell you, because she's been a yoga teacher for 14 years before we ever got together. And now she teaches DDPY because it's just the next level. It's yoga mixed with rehab, mixed with old school calisthenics, mixed with what I call dynamic resistance, which is just the flexing and engaging of muscles. So you get your heart rate jacked up standing still. So now you don't have to run, especially if you can't. You can't do it anyway, mm-hmm. but you don't, you don't have to run to get your heart rate jacked up. My work, I get you jacked up standing still. And the movements that I have break up scar tissue, which creates more mobility, which makes you stronger and feel younger. You know, yeah. So it's a win, win, win. And when people like say, yeah, I do your program, they don't mean just the workouts. The workouts are just a piece. The, on the app, and anybody can get the app for free, for free for seven days. Just go to ddpyoga.com or ddpy.com, and you can get the app for free for seven days. And there's the very first thing that will pop up, and, I, and I'll show this to you right here. It is the list. The list is that blue little uh, square that comes up in well, that is Everyone, a very user-friendly app, too, by the way. It's crazy user-friendly, right? And we're always making it even better. Um, but if you do everything on that list, you won't just change your life. You'll begin to start to own your life. And that's really what my goal is, helping people move forward. I just don't want you to change it. I want you to get yourself in a spot where you live your life on your own terms. Right. And that's physically and mentally. And it's got to happen on the inside. Before it happens on the outside. What I mean by that, 
a lot of people will say, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. When what they should be thinking, when I see it, I'll believe it. Like, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, Floyd Mayweather, maybe the greatest boxer of all time. Absolutely, pound for pound, the greatest boxer. He's the only boxer who's had 50 fights and is undefeated. He has 27 KOs. He still boxes whenever he wants to. Yeah. The bottom line is I will guarantee you before he ever walks out there and gets in that ring, in his mind's eye, he's already seen he's won this match. You win that match before you ever walk through the curtain. And you've got to be able to see it in your brain. Another great example. Um, in 19, April, May 6, 1954, a guy named Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. They said it was impossible. He was going to med school at the time. And there was journals written that you'll never be broken. Your heart can't take it. Your heart could explode. So this cat visualizes crossing the finish line of the mile and seeing on the clock 359. And he sees it and he sees it. And then May 6, 1954, he does it. Yeah. When someone proves that it can be done, other people go, well, he did it. Since then, over 1,300 people have broken the four-minute mile. Yeah. The record right now is by some guy in uh, Morocco, 343. Man. (laughs) Yeah. And there's somebody who's going to get that in their brain, 342. And they're going to run it. And they're going to do it. Yeah. You know, so... It's, it's got to happen on the inside before it happens on the outside. For me, I'm in Germany. I'm the opening match. It's me and Duggan every night. And we're in Berlin. And I get done with my match. I walk through the curtain and Hulk grabs me. And he pulls me over and he goes, how are you doing it? I go, how am I doing what, Hulk? He goes, how are you getting so much better? I go, wow, Hulk. I go, he goes, no, seriously. He goes, this is what they're doing with you, right? Because I don't see you on TV that much. He goes, but when I do, you got some new move. You got some, you get the people involved. This is what they're doing with you, right? They're putting you on the road like this so you can learn your craft. Right. I said, Hulk, I said, this is the first show I've been on in four months. What? I said, <laughs> I said, the only reason that I'm here is because my real last name is Falkenberg, and the Krauts <laughs> love their Germans. Right. I said, my grandfather's from the Black Forest. I said, and I got a smoking hot wife that walks me to the ring. That's why I'm here. He said, well, how are you doing it then? <laughs> I said, well, you know, I, I went back down to the power plant. He goes, what's that? I go, that's where they train the guys, the young guys coming up. And I went down there, and I just started teaching the guys. And I figured out something that I really didn't understand until then. But it applies to everything. The more you teach someone, the more you learn. The more you learn, the better you get. Right. And obviously that's working. He goes, whatever you're doing, you need to keep doing it. Not today. It's not next year or the year after. He said, well, somewhere down the line, you have the ability to draw huge money with me. And he walked away. And I thought to myself, Holy shit, man. Did Hulk just say he watched my matches? <laughs> right. You know, he was always looking like, who's that next guy? Who's the next guy coming up? So I started to visualize that, me and him, in the main event. 
me and him freaking battling it out on nitros. I visualized it for years. And then Rodman, you know, the whole thing happened with Randy Savage, which changed my life, Mm -hmm. the whole NWO thing. And I saw that uh, that, um, Dennis Rodman was coming into the company again. So I pick up the phone and I called Carl Malone. And not not knowing if they're going to be in the NBA Finals together that year, yeah. And I said, "Hey, Rodman just came in, man. How do you how, how do you feel about Rodman? Because you know he's polarizing. You know, mm-hmm. he said, well, you know, be, most people don't know this.' He goes, "But when you're a rookie in the M, in the NBA, back when his day, like there was no multi zillion dollar contracts. You all came out, and you all went to summer camp, and you roomed." With someone. And right. He said, I room with Rodman. He said, I always like Dennis. Uh, scrappy player, man. He goes, I don't know who this guy is wearing the wedding dresses. You know, <laughs> That's but, a different Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Uh, he said, but he goes, I always like him. I said, what if it was him and Hogan against me and you? He said, that would be interesting. I said, I know you've always wanted to do this. You've lived every dream, man. So I brought it down to Bischoff. Bischoff wasn't really sold on it immediately. Until that, that was the day they played L.A. And Carl pretty much manhandled Shaq, which is a tough order. Yeah. And they swept them 4-0 that year. Uh, they beat the Lakers and went on to the finals, and so did the, uh, the Bulls. And, you know, we went right from that into that angle. But me walking out with Carl on the Tonight Show with Hogan and Rodman being interviewed by Leno and throwing down the chairs and shooting that angle, man. That was even past my vision, even though I laid that out later. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was just manifesting me and Hogan. And then it turned into reality. Like, you've got to see it on the inside before you see it on the out. Right. And again, most people, I'll oh, believe it when I see it. That eh, should be backwards. Yeah. You, know, you got that backwards, bro. <laughs> right. You know? I, well, you, you talk about vision, and I want to know whose vision was it for the, uh, the three-staged cage match that was uh because it didn't come from ready to rumble or was that already thought about before ready to rumble no ready to rumble dead whoever did that and i couldn't believe it but vince never bought the rights to that cage so they couldn't really yeah it was like it was a fee they would have got the cage they would have got everything they bought that company for five million dollars if Bischoff would have known that they would buy it for $5 million, mm-hmm. he could have got... They just... I really think of when you say Vince won the war, Vince won the war in the way of, I think he called Jamie Kilner and said, I'll give you $5 million and you sell it to me for $5 million. That's... Yeah. It's, I have no idea, but, you know, to me, it's like... Bischoff was going to give him $50 million and take all the contracts, the big contracts, Hogan's and Goldberg's and Nash's, mm-hmm. Sting's, like big money contracts. Um, and bottom line is they didn't. So yeah, there was something shady happening there. That's what I, I mean. It kind of sounds like it because when you hear Bischoff talk about his thing, and then you hear all the stuff online, it's like five million compared to fifty million. Like there's some you know higher up things that happen. But I, I remember watching Ready to Rumble and going to the theaters. On I know it bombed, but it's a yeah. cult classic for wrestling fans. That's great cult uh, classic. <laughs> I mean, I sit here and I showed it to my five year old. He loves it, so yeah. we watch it all the time. It's one of those dad son things. But like when you're sitting there and they do the thing, they do the three the three stage cage. 
What goes through your mind when they're like, all right, we're actually going to bring this to life in a real WCW show? Yeah, it's a funny thing you say that because that was in the same arena where Owen Hart fell. Almost to the day of his birthday. So I was kind of spooked to be 40 because when, when I fell through the three cages, mm-hmm. I had wires on both sides of my hips. And I really fell through those cages that he broke away as they went. Right. Which, again, is a different level. It's kind of weird and scary. But I told uh, um, the, the director that day, I said, today, bro, I'm Frank Sinatra. He goes, what does that mean? I go, you got one take. Yeah. Don't miss it. But I'm not doing that twice. And I knew they'd make you do things five times, mm-hmm. you know, ten times. So, uh, you know, now going to play it. You got to get from one level to another, you know, through the, using the ladders. And there's, you know, there they just boost you up, you know, right. in the movie, cut and cut, <laughs> you know, come back. But uh, the night before, I told Jeff, I said, you know, I just want to go over there. I want to walk through some things. And I had this one spot where I ran him to the wall and the wall came down. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's a outside, the ring is 20 feet so the so the uh, the um, cages would have been like thirty feet, yeah. And then the next cage would have been like twenty feet. And the next cage would have been like ten feet. So there's a perimeter outside to walk around the outside of the cage, which is kind of squishy. So it's kind of weird because you know, remember when uh, Undertaker choke slam, yeah, Mickler, and you it, saw it, it kind of fell caving. through, yeah, just fell through. So what I was going to do was run him into the the second wall, so when the wall, the top of the wall falls, it looks like we're falling into the crowd. Mm-hmm. And it got a hell of a pop. And when we got there, I wanted to show Jeff how we were going to do that. In that first hour, I was a little tentative moving around there. By the second hour, I was feeling a little bit better. By the third hour, I was feeling too comfortable. Right. And what happened, like how we'd get from one cage to the next, there was a hole that was piping like aluminum everything's aluminum piping Mm -hmm. so there's a hole that probably about two feet by 18 inches so you can slide up and it's not too big a hole right well when i was up there jeff's on the top cage and i'm on the second cage and he's looking down at me when i go i'm gonna run you into the wall on the top it's only got like a little plastic you know holder there Mm -hmm. we're easily gonna knock that right down and it's gonna look like we're falling in the crowd but we're not and he goes You've never done that before. How do you know? I go, because it's only got one tie up there, so it's got to fall. The bottom's got a bunch of them. Right. He goes, well, what do we do next? And I point, we're going to fight around the outside of the cage, and then I stepped in that hole, and I start free falling. Yeah. And only because it was so small, it caught my my inner bicep Mm -hmm. on my right arm and my left foot left leg was still up as I fell through with my right leg like at free fall speed I thought I broke my neck man I mean it hurt and everybody's like oh my god oh my god oh my god are you all right yeah I think so you know I'm those, helping me lower yeah. me down and when I put my feet on the ground do you remember that said uh, scene in uh, ghost where the, the heel who's killed Patrick Swayze, uh-huh. he's out there and 
the ghosts are coming up and grabbing him and pulling him into the ground. Yeah. That's what I felt like. I felt like, oh, my God. The next morning, 5 o'clock, I could not move. And I'm on, like, probably five painkillers, you know, five easily five muscle relaxers, nothing. And I got to call and wake up the girl who's Bischoff's right-hand person mm-hmm. and said, Janie, if you don't get my doc out here, I can't perform. She goes, Dallas, I can't okay that. I go, Janie, I won't be able. I can't walk. She's like, what? I said, remember I told you about the cage? I go, I can't walk. And uh, they came and got me, <laughs> carried me down to the car. <laughs> My doc flew in, worked on me for five hours. Wow. If I went out there, you never know I was hurt. He worked on me for three hours, and I flew to somewhere else to wrestle Bret Hart for the United States Championship next night. Jeez, I mean, and you probably walk back there and be like, "Yeah, well, let's let's not do the uh, the triple cage match ever again. Let's just." <laughs> it was my own stupidity, you know. Um, and something else, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, so we'll kind of end it with this. So I was at Ric Flair's last match, right? And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, the arena pops. And I grew up at Minnesota. I remember going to see my first WCW show there. You were there. Somehow, I got Kevin Nash's NWO shirt. <laughs> it's this whole big ordeal. But I, I I started fangirling a little bit when I saw you hop the rail and go in there and you gave Cardona the diamond cutter. Like I, it brought me back to that old WCW days when I was there in the building. But recently, I you know you read on the internet and they talk about last matches in retirement, and you said you might still have one in you. Is that still kind of a thing, or are you no. you just the boots are hung up? They are only be. I'll still do diamond cutters. You know, whenever, <laughs> I really want to do them when I'm seventy. You know, just to be able to prove, uh, you know, what I can still do. Again, mm-hmm. it's the shit I've been talking about for the last, you know, 20 years, I do every day. Yeah. And I'm going to look like this and feel like this. I get a little more beat up every every year. But, you know, I keep working it out, you know. But I'll still, so I'll still do diamond cutters. But to have that match that I had in AEW, you know, with Dustin and QT against one of the best heels on the planet right now, MJF. Oh, he is. You know, Blade and Butcher. And to be able to blow that comeback, you know, and the place go crazy. And then QT to do his flip over the top and Dustin do his flip. And then me dive off the top rope. That place lost their mind. Yeah, I remember watching that. So I I can't beat that. You know, Cody immediately was like, maybe another I go, give me a better finish than that, and we'll talk about it. Yeah. I don't know how you do that, you know? So I hit that thing on Matt, who I love, Cardona. And I talked one of my favorite wrestlers all the way around, character, look. I mean, to me, like, as over as he is and was throughout his career, he's still not given all the credit he deserves. I'm talking about Randy Orton. Mm-hmm. I think he's one of the best of all time. And uh, and I and I'd said something about it once on podcasts, and he's home right now getting fixed, having an injury fixed. People always say, "When are you off? When we're injured, not hurt. When we're injured, mm-hmm. <laughs> like right. where we can't wrestle. That's when we're off." So Randy had seen that I'd put him over in something, so I get a DM out of nowhere from Randy Orton, and he says. Appreciate the kind words I saw the other day. Not sure if it was Reese or not. Also, I just want to say, 
I saw the diamond cutter last week, and I immediately Googled your age. (laughs) Good for you, brother. Being happy and healthy after all the bumps are done is priority one. After the money, of course. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then he says, says, uh, it's so good to see you enjoying all three. I love seeing you help the brothers of our industry. And uh, just out of nowhere for Randy to send me that, I sent back something nice. But uh, that was super cool, you know, yeah. because I love the way he took what I did. And he really kind of took it to a different level with some of the different, you know, changes, you know, that, that, that he knew stuff that he'd come up with and or whoever he was with came up with. Yeah. Um, just, you know, he's an amazing athlete. And uh, I was really, uh, like, I, I've always loved the fact that he was the guy to, you know, take on the cutter and rename it, whatever. You know, people know every time they see him, if you grew up in the 90s, you thought of me. Oh, for sure. <laughs> which, and, and Which is the greatest compliment ever. Exactly. And you sit here and you talk about the cutter. Like, I can't tell you how many times that I'd get in trouble because I'd hit the diamond cutter on my older sister. I'd just be walking <laughs> up and <laughs> I'd just walk up, bam, hit her with the diamond cutter. And I'd just look at her and do the, the you know, the diamond and be like, bang. And then I'd get yelled at and get grounded. But uh, those were always the fun part of being a kid saying you get to hit the diamond cutter on somebody or the stunner. And those things remember, like you remember those moves. Yeah. And then you see them now and you're like... Even though that's the RKO, we know where that originally came from yeah, and whatnot. Right. But, um, you know, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but before we let you go, uh, is there anything you want to tell somebody who's listening to this right now? What do you, you know, what do you want to tell them, promote well, anything? I'm sure there's a bunch of kids out there who you know, want to be wrestlers, you know, and what I tell them all is if you can't breathe without it, then you should go and do it. If you could be happy working the independent scene like we talked about, you know, in the beginning of the show, uh, that there's a really great independent seen out there right now, if you can be happy with that, then you should do it. If you can't breathe without going to WWE or AEW, that's going to be a way tougher task. And you better be willing to eat, sleep, and breathe it. And that's the only thing that's important to you. And can you get there? Yeah, you can get there. But you got to put the work in, like Edge, Christian, um, the Hardy Boys, Ray Mysterio, these are all guys that we, you know, coming up through my time, you know, earlier on would have never made it, except for they were so passionate and they were so great. Yeah, Eddie Guerrero, you know, I mean, one of the greatest ever. But you just can't listen to what anybody else says. You got to be able to, you got to be able to see it on the inside before you see it on the out. Right. You know, and that's something that. Because so many people are going to laugh at you. <laughs> Been laughed at all my life. <laughs> you know, today nobody does. At least not to my face, what they used to. Because they know everything I say I know to do, I do. Right, for sure. And that's good, you know, that that's that's the quan. You know, put the work in. And do your DDP yoga, because that's the only thing going to keep you alive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course, uh, where can people, they can get it at uh, DiamondDallasPage.com, DDPYoga.com, DDPY.com, and uh, definitely go get yourself some yoga, because, again. Not yoga, mother. Yeah, I mean, if you want to say it on here, you can. We can bleep no, stuff out. Not, not yoga, motherfucker. DDPY. <laughs> so, uh, all right, bro. Great, great hanging with you. And uh, now it's time for me to ride back to Atlanta with my beautiful wife. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Battleground Podcast. Make sure you give it five stars and a nice review. To stay up to date with the show, 
Follow them at Battleground Podcast on Instagram.